you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing. And on the list for the shot, we have been doing this for more than a year. Uh, I have an appointment, so I'm uh, super excited about that. I am also super excited uh, about our show today. As normal, we have our producer, Steve, who's hanging out with us. Uh, And as we continue our pre-draft preview, uh, Matt Okada is back again. Last week, we talked quarterbacks and tight ends. Today, we're going to talk running backs. And then next week, we're going to start a two-part set on wide receivers. But uh, Matt, it was a lot of fun last week. Uh, Maybe not as beefy this week, but I'm hoping we have just as much fun. Yeah, I mean, these are these are arguably the most important players for fantasy. The running backs are crucial. So even if there's, you know, the, the we, 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 did, we did two positions last week. So to be right. fair to the running backs, you know, that was a big show. But these guys are pretty crucial. So I'm excited. So uh, we're going to talk about a few of them uh, as well, especially the, the big names that we expect to come off the board fairly early. We'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into those. Uh, and then talk about some of the other guys that you might see get drafted, uh, certainly in dynasty leagues, maybe in some deeper redraft leagues, you may see some of these names come off the board as well. But first, uh, yesterday, uh, that being Monday, uh, Julian Edelman uh, announced his retirement from the NFL. Uh, he had uh, like, was waived with a failed physical designation, I believe, uh, and then just sort of used that as the opportunity to retire. Spent his entire career with the New England Patriots, was certainly a big part of their success especially over the last decade or so. And it begged the question to me, uh, I always like to look at some guys when they retire uh, and and wonder whether or not they make it into the fantasy hall of fame. And that was originally going to be the question I asked you, but then you went and fired off kind of a a heater of a tweet. And so I was like, well, now I got to kind of change this. All right. Uh, If if you don't follow Matt, you should, by the way, Matt Okada on Twitter. Uh, And I'm going to read it here. Hot and apparently irreconcilable take incoming. You can believe Julian Edelman doesn't have anything close to a Hall of Fame resume in regular seasons alone and that his postseason resume and impact catapult him well into the conversation for post first ballot conversation. So I'm just going to put you on the spot. You're telling me that Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. Um, well, (laughs) I would, I would try to play, uh, plead the fifth here and go with a, well, I just said consideration thing, but if you're asking me that question, I'm honestly going to tell you my honest answer, which is yes. I do believe by no means a first ballot hall of famer. Maybe he's one of those guys who makes it in well down the line in a year where there's not a bunch of superb options, but what I what I tweeted is basically the case. Everybody, every time that Julian Edelman came up in a, oh, is, he, is it time for him to retire or did he have a great <laughs> Super Bowl? Should we talk about a Hall of Famer now? Everyone says, well, look at his stats. He's clearly not a Hall of Famer, not even close. There are running backs and tons of tight ends and receivers who played a couple of years who have more or better stats than he does. But in the postseason, there is one 
player, one player, Marcus, that has more receptions and one player that has more receiving yards. And his name is Jerry Rice. He's the only guy. And besides the overall stats in the postseason, just the moments and the impact are also there for Edelman. He was the MVP of a Super Bowl. He was the centerpiece of arguably one of the greatest Super Bowl moments of all time in arguably the greatest Super Bowl of all time with that catch against the Falcons mm-hmm. that will be rewatched on, you know, greatest moments reels for decades. This guy was a crucial and impactful piece of the greatest dynasty of maybe any sport ever, certainly a, a football. And I think he should be at least in the conversation for those reasons, despite the fact that I don't think his regular season career is anywhere close. Yeah, and I think that's that's going to be the hang up. I think when he, you know, when mm-hmm. he finally is eligible, that people are going to look at his regular season numbers and sort of shrug. I mean, uh, just three one thousand yard seasons uh, in that period. Um, what I think he had, uh, what maybe two seasons with a hundred catches, I believe. Uh, nope. Never I more than correctly. seven touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, never was a, a huge touchdown guy, but you're right. He was an important piece of those offenses for so many years. So then I'm going to ask, so because of that, I mean, using that argument, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer to you? Okay, it's interesting you say that because there's a, a, a big debate going on under my tweet right now. People talking about Wes Welker and, well, he should be a Hall of Famer then. And I said, Wes Welker is not the right comparison for Julian Edelman. Eli Manning is the right comparison for Julian Edelman. Now, I don't think Eli Manning was as good a player necessarily. Um, I don't think he was as responsible for the Super Bowls that they won necessarily as uh, Edelman was for maybe a couple of the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And the overall postseason career is certainly better for Edelman, despite the fact that Manning did win two Super Bowls, although Edelman won three. So if you're going by just count, (laughs) the Lombardis are in his favor. But it's similar. And I think it might be kind of a similar sort of fringe situation where Manning doesn't get in on the first ballot, but maybe he does eventually. And maybe it's kind of the same thing for Edelman. I do feel like I feel like Eli is going to get in just because I feel like the the momentum has been building for that for a lot longer. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe maybe Julian Edelman e- eventually gets that sort of momentum building for him. Um, and you're right. Maybe he does. I don't I definitely don't think it's going to be right away. He may have to wait uh, a couple three cycles uh, before I think he gets maybe enough love to get in there. I think Eli's going to get in. Honestly, part of me wouldn't be surprised if he gets in on the first ballot because I feel like Ooh. I feel like this. I, and look, I'm not saying like I don't I don't think Eli's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of Very Good. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Sounds um, about right. But but I feel like the argument has been building for so long. I mean, the argument was building before he retired. Um, so True. because of that, I think I think that train is already moving down the track. And so I, I think he's going to get in on the first ballot. I mean, I don't have a vote, but if I did, I wouldn't <laughs> vote for him. Um, um, yeah. It's also tough for me, honestly, to make this comparison because Julian Edelman, besides being one of my favorite players ever, I'm a Patriots fan, is the last bastion of the 2010s Patriots, iconic Patriots mm. players. Now I don't know what's left on my, my team. <laughs> we don't have a face of the franchise anymore. Meanwhile, Eli Manning is my most hated NFL player <laughs> of all time. So it's a tough one. He has been the thorn in the Patriots side yep. uh, in the postseason. So uh, I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, all right. I just, like I said, I was, I was going to ask if, so then I guess the other question is, is he a fantasy hall of famer? I mean, when you talk, talk about fantasy football, would you put him in the fantasy hall of fame? This mythical fantasy hall of fame that I have right. made up and will one day maybe start somewhere. 
Yeah, I think you should, because and I would like a vote. Uh, <laughs> put my name in the hat for that. But no, in my opinion, no. Like like we talked about the regular season resume, it's just not there. He was a top twenty wide receiver in five of his last eight seasons, but only one season as a wide receiver. One, he was wide receiver seven in twenty nineteen. For those who forgot, which was actually pretty impressive. And the, the other seasons that he missed that top twenty range, he missed a significant number of games. So he was always there, like in your wide receiver two category but i don't know if a like career wide receiver two is worthy of hall of fame consideration for the fantasy hall of fame so i'm gonna say no uh he was also one of the players not the only one but one of the players that sort of has turned me against ppr um Mm. (laughs) all those years uh like i'm looking where am i looking at let's see uh 2013, 105 catches for 1,056 yards. I'm like, yeah. ah, come on, uh, man. <laughs> like, uh, that's frustrating. So he's one of the reasons that I am uh, sort of against PPR. But uh, I, I'm with you, though. I think he just misses out. He would just miss out on the Fantasy Hall of Fame. But uh, kudos to him on what was an excellent career, obviously a very successful career. Uh, and look, hey, man, as a Bay Area guy, he's another Bay Area guy. So uh, shout out to him for that as well. All right. Um, also, before we get into uh, our our draft preview about running backs, there was some running back news that uh, hit just this morning. And that is James Conner signing a one-year deal with the Cardinals. Um, your thoughts on that? What does this mean for him? What does this mean for Chase Edmonds uh, down there in Arizona? Um, I'd say it's good for James Conner because before this, we he was kind of a ship without a sail, anchor, or, or any other means of doing anything. <laughs> um, and now he goes to an, an offense that we believe will be productive, I think, um, with a, a backfield for right now that does not have a lead back or even a you know 200 carry guy necessarily. Chase Edmonds has been a complimentary piece. I think that that's probably what will continue to be the case, although certainly the ratio between the two guys might change. There's also still a chance that they draft someone, so we'll see how long Connor's value in Arizona lasts. But I think it's good for him. And for Edmonds, I don't think it's really a big deal because I think there was a a very good chance that they were going to draft someone. Maybe now that changes how soon they draft someone, which matters. And I don't think Connor... I don't even know if Connor's as talented as Edmonds, to be honest. But I don't think that he's a uh, feature back necessarily in Arizona. So Edmonds should still get plenty of run and maybe even a lot more opportunity than he got over the last couple of years with Drake and other guys. I, I, I do think he will see more touches this year than he did in the past when Kenyon Drake was there and, and whomever else was there ahead of him. Um, I, I I never subscribed to the theory that he was going to suddenly become a workhorse. And I, I do feel like the Cardinals might have even floated that idea out there that they were going to try to make him a workhorse back, but I never really bought into it. Um, I think he is, I think he's better as a complimentary back. And I think that's what James Connor offers them there. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, Edmund starts the year as the number one, at least on paper. Uh, and, and I could see him getting a couple hundred touches potentially, but I, I don't think he's going to be a true workhorse. I think Connor's going to work in there. And I also, like you said, I still believe uh, Arizona may draft somebody. Now it might not be till, you know, late on day two or possibly day three. Um, but I do think that they are going to figure out a way to, to bring somebody in. I mean, look, the, you look at their depth chart right now at running back. It is not, deep at all i mean you've got edmonds now you've got james connor beyond that i mean you've got like eno benjamin who didn't play at all last year 
Uh, I think you have like Jonathan Ward, I think is still, is still floating around there as well. There's just not a lot there. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals aren't done adding running backs right now. So for everybody who thought that somehow Chase Edmonds was going to be the next big workhorse, uh, we were just going to pour some cold water on that because that's not going to happen. So there you go. Um, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So that takes us to the crux of what we're going to talk about today, and that is the running back position uh, for the draft coming up. So last week when, I, when we had you on, uh, I asked you what you were looking for when you were scouting quarterbacks. Uh, I'm going to ask what what are you looking for and what really doesn't matter to you when you are scouting the running back position? Yeah, there's more or less five areas that I look at, and then there's some traits to fall within each. So first would be vision. How quickly can that running back identify the trajectory of the defense? How quickly can he find the ideal running lane and kind of direct his path and his run to open space? If the hole that is designed on that play is closed up because blocking didn't work out like it should, can he find a new place to go? Does he have the patience to wait for holes to develop? Things like that. You know, guys like Le'Veon Bell obviously are famous for that. Um, and with lacking certain athletic traits, you can make up a lot with really good vision. So it can be pretty crucial to some running backs. So that's probably top of the list or near the top. And then after that comes a lot more of the athletic thing. So explosiveness is top very high for me. Um, and you'll kind of hear some of that. in when we talk about some of these running backs, but how quickly can a running back accelerate? Does he burst through holes? Or does he just kind of look like he's moseying through them? Does he catch defenders at the second level off guard when he comes through that hole in the line and suddenly they realize they have to completely change the angle that they're taking because he's out shot out of a cannon through that line? To me, that is one of the most, if not the most important trait for a running back because these are guys who are starting from zero and and they have to get up to speed really fast. Like, you know, what? when you're a receiver and you're running a route, you're usually catching that ball in stride with a lot of momentum downfield. The running back more or less is getting the ball from zero and has to burst through that line. And he sometimes has to move side to side behind that line and then reburst through that line. So explosiveness is pretty key. And then missed tackles and broken tackles. The ability to force both those things are crucial to me. They're very separate. Missed tackles is more about agility and foot quickness. Broken tackles is about strength and contact balance. Do you have one of those? Do you have both of those? How well do you succeed uh, in both of those categories? Those are pretty crucial. And then lastly for me is third down ability. And I call it that not just receiving or pass catching ability because there's more to it than that in my opinion. And I think a running back's ability to pass block is very crucial and very underrated, especially for these receiving backs or these guys who we see as potential third down mavens uh, who are going to get a lot of catches in the NFL, you're not going to do that if you're not there on third down. And to be a really good pass blocker is becoming more and more important in your ability to be there on third down. But then also, of course, the pass catching ability, the receiving chops, route running, is he a natural receiver? Things like that are very important too. So those are kind of the five areas, and then there are traits under those areas that stand out to me in what I'm looking for. I think when you talk about pass blocking in particular, that's a thing that I'm always sort of keeping an eye on. And I know, you know, if you're if you're playing fantasy, especially if you're relatively new to it, you're like, well, why do I care? I don't get points for blocking. But the point you made is that if if a guy is good at pass protection, 
that increases his chances of being on the field more, especially on third down. Uh, we know how valuable a target is compared to just a regular carry. So being on the field on third down increases your chances of getting one of those very valuable targets. And so I do keep an eye on on how a guy is in pass protection. And you know, obviously you would prefer that a guy have good technique and be actually good at it. But for me, even, I just want to see a willingness to kind of stand in there and, and, and take on blockers, that sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. um, if you show that willingness to do that, uh, I feel like if you get with the right, the right offense, the right coaches, they can sort of help you firm up that technique a little bit better. But I think if you don't, if, if you're willing to stand in there and do that, it's a lot harder to get you to kind of be that person. So um it is an underrated part of the game. It's one where you don't get any fantasy points. It's definitely not sexy, but I do think it's one of those things where it helps you uh, a little bit down the road. So uh, I'm glad you threw that in there because I do think that's, that's again, it's a thing that, that doesn't get counted, doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but is very, very important. Um, so we're looking at these running backs here, and there are three guys sort of at the top of this list. Um, now, depending on who you ask, the order might be a little bit different for all of them, but uh, I think everybody's kind of agreed on the consensus top three right now. Uh, we just named them Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Javante Williams. What order do you have them in on your list? Ooh, it's, it's pretty close, but uh, and for most of this uh, podcast when we're talking about these guys – I'm going to mostly talk about them from like my scouting perspective mm-hmm. and not and kind of try to leave draft capital and landing spot out of it a little bit more, at least until later on. And when we start talking about context for what they can be and things like that in the NFL, mm-hmm. but just comparing them head to head, that's what I'm going to go with. So because of that, Javante Williams is number one for me of these three guys, despite the fact there's a decent chance he gets drafted third of them. And that's a big deal. And then Travis Etienne is second for me and Najee Harris is third. And if you've watched content that we've done together recently, you might be like, wait a minute, you had Najee Harris as your number one running back for 2021. Yes, I did. That's largely because of draft capital. And I believe he will be the highest drafted running back. So he might have the best immediate impact. But from a prospect standpoint, it's Javante Etienne Najee for me. Which, by the way, is a nice little segue to if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, this is a perfect time to go do that. While you're listening to this podcast, just go over to YouTube.com slash NFL Fantasy Football. Hit subscribe. You can see that video uh, that Matt was talking about where we go down the top 10 rookies uh, potentially for fantasy in 2021. You, you see that. Uh, plus plenty of other stuff that we do there. So uh, nice little segue to, uh, to, to looking into that. Um, all right. So then let's go down in the order that you have them. Let's start with Javante Williams. Compared to Harris and Etienne, uh, a relatively few number of carries. I mean, I think just a little more than half of the carries of those other two guys. Um, when you're scouting, when you're looking at that and what it could mean for the NFL, is that good or bad or, or is it just you know, does it not even matter really? When you're scouting it in general, it can be either, in my opinion, and it really mm-hmm. depends on context. So why did they not get the full load of carries like maybe a Najee Harris did. And for me with Javante Williams, the reasons for that don't scare me. So I call this good. And the reason it can't actually be good and not just neutral is because you come in with less wear and tear on your body. And that's with running packs, one of the crucial things for dynasty because their shelf life is so short with Javante Williams. He got less carries because the other running back on his team is extremely good. We will talk about him later and you will find out how much I like him later. 
but he he has spoiler alert a RB one upside in the NFL from a fantasy perspective. So to lose some carries to that kind of player to me is not a big deal. If he was losing carries to a guy who's not going to get drafted or to a fifth round guy, it would be a little bit more concerning. And then the other big thing I look at typically with a, a smaller workload is size and an, and a running back's ability to take contact and play through contact and things like that is the team trying to protect him a little bit. And that's why he has 150 carries Instead of 250 or 300, Javante Williams is prototypical size, 5'10", 212 ish. He played, or his college weight was 220, his pro day weight was 212. So maybe he'll be somewhere between that. That is perfectly good size, and his ability to play through contact is incredible. So I don't believe it has anything to do with that. I think it was just that this offense worked well with this two headed monster that is monstrous in both heads. And so it doesn't bother me much for Javante. And I think that, I think that's a fair point too, because that's one of the things I looked at was, you know, they have another guy back there. As you mentioned, we will talk about him uh, a little bit later on in this show. And I think that's the reason. The other thing though, that I think was a positive was the jump in touchdowns for Williams from one year to the next, just a huge jump in scoring. Um, but the fact that he could do it all, I think in a lot of ways, you know, and I think you mentioned this last week and I, I believe this to be true as well. It says something when you were watching another player and you see a guy just sort of pop, a guy that you're not even watching, you can see him pop. And that was sort of the thing when I was watching North Carolina, looking at other guys, um, I couldn't help but notice Javante Williams whenever he got the ball in his hands. And I think that speaks volumes to what he can do and what he can be. Um, Lance Zerline, who does a ton of profiles for us, does yeoman's work every draft season. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say I think he writes 500 player profiles every year. I know that because I think one year I edited about 300 of them myself. Um, he he gave a Kareem Hunt comp there. And I, I don't really get too much into, into NFL player comps. I think it's, it's very subjective, and I, I think it's really hard to sort of pin down. But the reason that one caught my eye and why I sort of gravitated toward that one is I remember watching Kareem Hunt at Toledo and and thinking to myself okay this guy isn't necessarily great at one particular thing but he's really good at a lot of different things and that's what i came away with watching javante williams does that does that seem fair does that seem accurate to you yeah i think that is the best part of this comp and i think this comp is pretty solid amusingly the guy that i actually comp him to javante williams more commonly is kind of a slightly smaller nick chubb who is Kareem Hunt's teammate. But the, the the thing that's really solid about the Hunt comp, like you just said, is the completeness of these players as running backs. There is no doubt in my mind that Javante Williams is the most complete running back in this class. Might Etienne or Harris have better abilities in certain areas? Absolutely. Might they be drafted higher? Certainly. Might they be better fantasy backs? Maybe. But Javante Williams is the most complete back, without a doubt, in my opinion. And Kareem Hunt is one of the most complete backs in the NFL. I think highly underrated. And we saw what he did when he got one full season as a feature back. For some reason, he's been forced into committees kind of ever since. But when he had a full season, and as, a, as, a, as a rookie, by the way, 1,800 scrimmage yards and 11 touchdowns. It was pretty nice. So I do like Tom. I think Javante can maybe even be better in the right situation. <clears throat> For a dynasty career, a lot of that has to do with what Cream Hunt has kind of gone through from a 
landing spot standpoint and usage, mm-hmm. but but I love him. Yeah, I, I said I, he was one of those guys that that really just kind of jumped off the screen. Uh, again, when I was watching somebody completely different, uh, I couldn't help but notice Javante Williams whenever he had the football in his hands. Um, so that takes us to Travis Etienne, who is your number two uh, amongst this group. Uh, and look, if you want to go back and watch the video that we did uh, a couple weeks back, uh, you go into a kind of a, a really good long breakdown on on his strengths and his weaknesses. One of the things you talked about was that he probably will need to land in a spot where they can block and open holes for him or at least find some way to get him in space so that he can use that game-breaking speed. Um, is that going to be make or break? Is is the team he lands with going to make or break what his production can be at the next level? I don't know if it will quite make or break in the sense that I think he's good enough and a good enough prospect that he can still succeed in a situation that's not ideal. So I don't know if I was, like I would say he'd be a bust, for example, if he went to a poor situation like maybe New York or maybe Pittsburgh, based on what we saw last year, or New England or somewhere like that. Um, not sure if any of those guys will draft in this high. But however, what it does for the make side of that question is crucial. And the upside he can reach in the ideal situation is massive. So the gap between what if he goes to a great landing spot with a great offensive line and a great scheme, and what if he goes somewhere not as ideal where he has to try to create on his own, which he's not very good at, the gap is very, very wide. I think it's more of a gap between like maybe an RB2, RB3 on a yearly basis versus a top five running back on a yearly basis than it is, well, will he be successful or will he just be a complete bust? So that's kind of the di- the difference that I, I see in where he goes and, and what that means for his value. When people talk about him, they talk about obviously the pass catching ability. They talk about the speed. And when I watched him, I do feel like he won more with speed than with power. But do you think, you know, if, if it came down to it, if they needed, if a team needs him to be a between the tackles guy or a short guarded goal line guy, can he do that? Or is that just not part of his game? Do you think? He can do it, not as well as a lot of other, these other guys that we're going to talk about, even some of the guys lower on the list. Um, well, an interesting thing about ETN that I saw in terms of like his tackle-breaking ability is if he's running straight into a guy, it was pretty bad. He actually does this, he did this weird thing in college where he kind of turned and backed into them, and it was, it was not productive. But if you, try to, if you tried to tackle him from the side or from behind, he was one of the best in the class. It was this really odd phenomenon with ETN. So that's something that at the goal line could be a problem because everybody's in front of you <laughs> and right there in front of you. Um, and there's some other guys in this class we'll talk about who I think will be much higher touchdown upside guys. ETN is likely to be most successful by putting up 1,400 rushing yards and 600 receiving yards, things like that, if he's going to ever you know break out into huge numbers. I feel like he's the guy that, I mean, I say this all the time, we live in a PPR world, right? And and he's the guy that is right now being noted mostly out of this class for his pass catching ability. So I think in that respect, that will certainly give him some opportunities. I think it's going to make him very popular, um, certainly in dynasty drafts, but I think just in a lot of redraft leagues as well, knowing how well he can catch the ball um, and and expecting that wherever he goes, he's going to get plenty of opportunities to do that. So that's one thing I'm definitely keeping an eye on uh, for, for ETN. So uh, now let's just round out the big three with Najee Harris, um, who wants to remind you that it is Najee 
Matt Najee Harris. Uh, I believe he told our James Palmer that uh, <laughs> during pro days uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, just a pro tip for all of you out there. Um, last week when we talked about quarterbacks, we talked about Mac Jones, and I went through the list of just the top-notch receivers that have come out of Alabama just in the last decade. You can kind of put together a similar list of running backs, especially in the last five years. I went back through 2016 uh, and guys who have made it to the NFL and, and made an impact. Uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, Damian Harris, Derek Henry, Kenyon Drake. This is all since 2016. I mean, if you want to go back further, you can get into the Mark Ingrams and, and that sort of thing, the Eddie Lacy's of the world, uh, which is the name I hadn't thought about in a long time. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. but those are some of the guys. Uh, who else was it? Um, Trent Richardson, another one. Mm. I, when I was looking at the list, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Um, but just, just going back to the last five years, right, the Jacobs, Harris, Henry, Drake group, um, when you look at Najee Harris, where does he compare? How does he compare uh, amongst that group? Pretty well. Pretty well. I think if I have to kind of rank them, he falls behind Derrick Henry, but ahead of everybody else. And I will say he's probably a little closer to Josh Jacobs than he is to a Derrick Henry in terms of what I expect. Mm -hmm. But it's useful to remember, like, Josh Jacobs was not the feature back. He actually split time with another guy we just mentioned who has not been as successful at the NFL level in Damian Harris yet, at least. Um, He he was nowhere near the prospect from, at least from a production standpoint, that Najee uh, or Derrick Henry were. So it, it was a risky pick when uh, he was drafted, Josh Jacobs, that is. Najee Harris will not be as risky as a pick. He's a very, very solid prospect that everybody knows is good, and there's not going to be many question marks with him. Um, so he's he's up there on that list. I don't think he's near Derrick Henry in terms of potential necessarily based off what we've seen from Henry, but that's a extremely tall bar. So, you know, not saying too much negative about Najee to say that. I mean, look, I I feel like comparing anyone to Derrick Henry is just not fair. Um, Mm -hmm. I've I've told this story probably a number of times, and I always kind of enjoy telling it. But the year Derrick Henry was draft eligible, um, he came out to Los Angeles. He was on total access. He did a tour of the newsroom and uh, walked past a bunch of our desks. Uh, there was, he was getting a tour. And I knew who he was. I recognized him. I, I knew who he was. But if you had come up to me and told me that he was a pass rushing defensive end, I would have said, <laughs> yeah, OK. All right. That, that, that makes sense. I mean, he is a mountain of a man. He's a physical mm-hmm. specimen. And I, I would imagine that if I were a, you know, if I were a defensive back, a smaller person trying to tackle him, um, I understand why guys make business decisions. That's all I'm saying. And so to, yep. compare, to compare anybody to that guy uh, is sort of unfair because he really is that big and strong and physical and has speed on top of it. Um, he is, he's kind of a freak of nature. Uh, Derek Henry is, uh, but back to Najee Harris. Um, he kind of took offense recently with uh, some, some draft analysts out there who, which sounded like a compliment in a lot of respects. He took offense to uh, the the statement being um, that he is an improved pass catcher over his previous years at Alabama. And he kind of bristled saying, look, I don't appreciate that. One, it, it sort of suggests that I couldn't. Uh, it's, it's just a thing that I wasn't asked to do. Um, for your money, are you are you confident in his his abilities as a pass catcher? 
Yes. I think I would actually side a little more with Najee than than with that kind of uh, scouting note. Um, to me, from the tape, regardless of the production, which was very good last year um, and the year before that, actually, he looks great. My, my, my actual notes in my scouting notes for him on this subject say excellent hands as a pass catcher and very good route runner. That for a running back to have that in my notes is very, very solid. Mm-hmm. He is going to be, in my opinion, a strong asset for a passing game. Now, I will say, because I brought it up earlier with the blocking, <laughs> I did not like the pass blocking that I saw from <laughs> Najee Harris on tape. There are some other guys we'll talk about where I was incredibly impressed and it launched their um, their stock, in my opinion, as a prospect up this board. I think there's a good chance that Najee Harris is kept off the field on third down by what I saw in his pass blocking ability. Now, maybe he can improve on that, but, you know, he's a big guy who should be able to dominate as a blocker, and I did not see it. So that's a little bit concerning for me. I still think he can be a 50-catch guy at the NFL level per season, which is great, Mm -hmm. and will put him in RB1 consideration, you know, as long as he's got good rushing production pretty easily. But... I think there's a good chance we don't see him necessarily in the same conversation as like an ETN or guys in the NFL that we talk about, like a Camara or a McCaffrey or even a Saquon Barkley, where their pass catching is consistent and constant. And we see them as, you know, 80 to 90 catch guys. Does it worry you at all? I mean, the, the one knock on him is that he doesn't really seem to have home run speed. Although when I watch him, I feel like I feel like he's faster than he looks. I don't know if that's something that did you take hmm. note of that? Does that bother you at all? Um, I think that the faster than he looks thing can be a little bit fair. Part of that might come from his size because it's surprising to see someone that big. Like when we watch Derrick Henry run as fast as he does, it almost doesn't make sense. So there's a little bit of that. I think that's fair. I will say I don't think that he has a top end speed and explosiveness that I would like to see in a top five running back necessarily from a fantasy perspective or from a couple of the other guys that we'll talk about on this list. He's well below Travis Etienne in that category and below a couple other guys that we'll mention later. Is it um, a prospect breaker? Is he going to be a bust because of it? Absolutely not. He's way too good at everything else that he does and he'll be very successful doing those things. Does it limit his upside? Probably yes. In my opinion, I think he's going to be a guy who almost always gets four yards, which is very, very solid and rare (laughs) in the NFL. (laughs) But he maybe never gets 40 yards, which is not as common, so it's not a huge deal, but it will limit his upside a little bit. Um, one thing I, I forgot to mention, too, you talk about you know him as a pass catcher, and I say this all the time, just because a guy has never been asked to do something doesn't mean he can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back as, as recently as last year with Jonathan Taylor, right? Everybody says, well, he can't catch the football. And I'm like, well, we don't know that. They just... But Wisconsin's offense was not set up to throw the football to their running backs. We don't know, and I think we saw by the end of his rookie year in Indianapolis that, hey, Jonathan Taylor can catch the football a little bit. So um, I would also kind of apply that maybe to Najee Harris uh, when we talk about his pass catching abilities. Uh, all right. So that takes us out of the big three right there. Um, for uh, amongst those guys, though, who do you feel like has the highest ceiling? And is that dependent on potentially where each of them lands? This is a really tough one for me. Um, it, first of all, it is very dependent. And it generally, when we're talking about running backs, it's the most uh, landing spot dependent fantasy position by far in the NFL. So 
when you're looking at these guys and where they go, that that matters a lot, even if we're talking about them as great prospects here. And when they go matters a lot, too. If, you know, if Javante Williams falls for some reason to the fourth round and goes to, I don't know, Baltimore, it's going to be, well, which is a very good scheme, but he'll be third or fourth in the depth chart. Right. It's not going to feel great. And it's going to matter a lot. In terms of ceiling, though, for these three guys, it's really close for me between Javante Williams and Travis Etienne. But I will lean towards ETN because if he goes to the ideal situation, I think he can be a perennial top five fantasy running back given his big playability and his pass catching ability. Those two together, that combination is what I see in the top five pretty consistently these days in the NFL, except for Derrick Henry. He he breaks all the molds. He does whatever he wants. But I'm not looking for that when I'm scouting these guys because no one else pretty much is Derrick Henry. So I'll lean ETN. Javante Williams very, very close there. And the landing spot does matter a lot to who will be the highest ceiling guy. So I'm trying to think of a good spot. I know uh, our, our pal Maurice Jones-Drew mocked him to the Jets. And uh, he admitted to me that he did it purely for fantasy reasons. Uh, because, look, I mean, if nothing else, there's opportunity there, right? We know that for a fact, that there's opportunity there in New York. There's a new coaching staff. Maybe they've turned over a new leaf. Um, I, I see you shaking your head. Are you, I'm guessing you're not completely on board with Travis Etienne to the Jets right now. Huh? I'll say this. New York has the ability to surprise, I mm. think. They could be sneaky good. You know, they're going to get their quarterback at two. They have a whole new coaching scheme, and Adam Gase was – been a large part of the problems there so that could help a lot but if we're talking a place that i feel more confident in i would lean towards maybe somewhere like miami maybe somewhere like san francisco if he goes to the 49ers and shanahan makes him more of the lead back than he has recently that could be huge now granted he's likes to play committee largely so we don't know if that would happen but etn would probably be the best back he has had maybe ever mm-hmm. um maybe somewhere like tampa bay would also be solid anywhere I, but the main problem with the jets in my opinion is that the, i don't think that offense is going to be very good very quick and etn is a running back who if you have a good offense overall and a good passing game that can open up space and move the defense back that's where he can really take advantage and make you look bad on defense so i'd like him to go to a better team overall yeah, I worry about Tampa. It just feels like it's getting crowded back there um, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, Miami is interesting because I feel I feel like every mock or every projection, um, and maybe it's us fantasy types just being greedy again, but um, I think we've always suggested one of these big three running backs going to Miami. And, yep. uh, and depending on who you ask, it's, it's a different one, but the point is they have opportunity available there. And I keep saying it last year, they were essentially a one back offense. Whoever their starter was for that given week was the guy who got most of the work. So um, I think if they continue that, uh, whichever one of these guys, if they go to the dolphins, potentially is in a really good spot. And what is an an emerging on an emerging team and what could be a kind of a fun offense, uh, especially if Tua Tungabailoa takes a step forward uh, in 2021. Um, all right, so now looking at the next tier, we got, we know who your top three are. Uh, four through ten, what, what, what is your list uh, through the rest of the – I feel like after the top ten, I don't know how much value there's going to be uh, fantasy-wise. So let's go four through ten. How do you have them ranked? Yeah, probably not much at all is the answer to that question. <laughs> um, I'll hit the names uh, speed style, and then we okay. can we can dump, jump in any of them if you want. But sure. 
Technically, my four is actually my two. Michael oh. Carter. Yeah, Michael Carter out of North Carolina. The other North Carolina guy we mentioned earlier. I actually have him at two from a prospect scouting standpoint. Wow. Now, there's there's a very good chance that mm-hmm. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne go two or three rounds higher than him. And that may mean that after the draft, my rookie running back rankings change significantly. But right now, I love Michael Carter. He's technically at two, but we'll call him four. And then after that, it's a, it's a big tier break. And then, But after <laughs> that, it goes uh, Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State, mm-hmm. Trey Sermon out of Ohio State. And there's another pretty big tier break, actually a massive tier break. And then there's kind of a little clump of guys that I'm not super excited about, but could all do something solid in the NFL given some of their skill sets. And that's Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State, and Jared Patterson out of Buffalo. So that rounds out kind of the top ten. Well, let's start. Let's start with Michael Carter, just because you are so high on him. Um, I mean, talk to me about what what you feel like he does well, and and what what you know what you think his ceiling could be at the NFL level. Okay, what he does well, and when I say well, I mean better than anyone in this class, probably, and arguably better than most of the running backs I've looked watched in the NFL is his second level rushing ability. So for context, what that means for the listeners, your ability behind the line to find the hole. I talked about this earlier with vision to get past the line of scrimmage and start running downfield. That's that kind of first level. When you get past the line and you're into the, what we call the second level. And now you're dealing with linebackers and DBs even Michael Carter is a terror he has inc- elite burst, absolutely incredible acceleration downfield. But pro- probably his most interesting strength, in my opinion, is his downfield vision. He has this uncanny ability when he's in at that second level to take the angles and make the moves to just make a, a hot mess of whatever defense is left at that level. And, the, and you'll just watch them taking an angle to catch him realizing they're nowhere close and awkwardly spinning and falling on their butts while he runs past them for a touchdown. He's absolutely unbelievable once he gets past the line and he's got plenty of other strengths too. Like that's not all that he does, but that's what makes him so unbelievable. My kind of comp for now is Aaron Jones, Hmm. which is a pretty high praise. Uh, Aaron Jones has that similar ability at the second level to just absolutely blow you away. Um, I think there's a very good chance Michael Carter, if he gets, let's say, day two draft capital, second or third round, but even if he goes on day four or day uh, three, maybe round four to a good team, I think Michael Carter has RB1 upside. So I really, really like him. How is it that he's so far down? Everybody's, I mean, I shouldn't say so far down. I mean, I think most people have him four or five. So he's not like mm-hmm. off the radar, but it just seems like there's. Um, he's well outside that tier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I think a lot of it comes from the fact that he split work. And when I mentioned why I'm not concerned with Javante Williams and him splitting that work, I mentioned one of the main things there is his size because he has that prototypical size. Michael Carter is 5'8", 199. So he does not have that size that helps you feel confident overcoming that lower carry count. So there is that as as a pretty significant drawback. And that's, I think, part of or a large part of the reason why he doesn't get as much uh hype uh 
I want to mention Chuba Hubbard only because I just like saying Chuba Hubbard. It's just a fun True. name to say. Um, but the guy I really wanted to ask you about was was Kenny Gainwell, um, who I feel like there is a a small but kind of intense hive forming for Kenny Gainwell in draft Twitter. And, and Memphis has done a really good job. You know, I'm going to say put out a ton of players, or a ton of running backs, but it feels like the guys who come out – generally tend to do pretty well. Obviously, Antonio Gibson is sort of the latest example. I guess he wasn't technically a running back at Memphis, but he had uh, running back-like tendencies. Um, talk to me about what, what it is you like about, about Kenneth Gainwell. Well, what I like most and what most people will touch on first is his ability as a receiver. What I saw best with Gainwell, though, is not like hands or the natural pass-catching ability that I, I kind of hit on earlier. It was his route running. I think he's an extremely talented route runner, and that's why he was a 51-catch guy the last time he played in 2019. He's probably one of the best receiving running backs just in terms of his receiving ability in this class because of that. So that will elevate him and his ability to contribute at the NFL level for sure. I didn't see too much else that I loved. He doesn't really create well for himself. He kind of needs to be schemed into open space. And while he's very good once he gets there, that is a little bit of a drawback. Um, He has the missed tackle ability that I talked about, but does not have the break tackle ability that I talk about. So he's got that agility, but he's not strong and he doesn't have that contact balance, in my opinion, in a way a lot of these other running backs do. So maybe he becomes like a Duke Johnson kind of guy where he has some really good fantasy seasons, but most of it is as a receiver. And people often talk about, is he a running back or is he really a slot receiver? Maybe that's what we see with Kenneth Gainwell. Um, I think he, he could be pretty decent. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit with uh, with the quarterbacks and, and the tight ends last uh, last week. Um, does it bother you at all that he, you know, we haven't seen him since 2019. He you know, ended up not playing at all last year. Any Any concerns about that? Not really. Um, I think that matters a little bit more at the receiver position and a lot more at the quarterback position. I think at the running back for running backs, it's not quite as big a deal. We even talked earlier about how less carries can be a good thing or less uh, wear and tear in general can be a good thing. And what we saw in 2019 when he was quite young was a very, very productive season. 1,400 rushing yards, over 600 receiving yards. Again, like I mentioned, 51 catches. That's why there's a, a pretty good groundswell for Kenneth Gainwell because of what we saw from him that year. All right. So looking at, at redraft leagues, what we can expect, I mean, obviously, you know, the top three, ETN, Williams, Harris, all going to be drafted in redraft leagues. I would think Michael Carter, uh, as you mentioned, depending on the draft capital, what team he lands with, probably going to get uh, looked at in redraft leagues. I mean, any more beyond that, maybe one or two guys. It feels like it feels like it's, it's kind of those four and, and maybe some dart throws when you talk about redraft leagues this year. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance that Hubbard will go in redraft leagues. I think there's a pretty good chance that Trey Sermon will go in redraft leagues. And a lot of this will have to do with where they go in drafts. I hope Kylan Hill goes in in redraft leagues because I love him, but that's going to be very dependent on where he goes in the NFL draft. I think it's most likely around five to seven. The Elite Three, Carter, and then a combo of maybe two or three of those guys that we just talked about. My guess is that that's what it'll be in. That's what it's been in recent years, so that would kind of be par for the course. And then we talked dynasty. That number bumps up to what, ten maybe? Ten or twelve? Okay. Yep. Last year was twelve with a very deep wide receiver class. This is another very deep wide receiver class. I think the wide receiver class is quite a bit better in depth than the running back class 
although the top end of running backs is good. So I think it's probably going to end up being around 10 or 12 in your rookie drafts. But after that first tier and then that sort of second mini tier, the rest, like you mentioned, are pretty much dart throws. Um, so you want to try to get some of those early guys if you can. Uh, after watching all these guys, was there a particular favorite that you enjoyed watching more than the others? Oh, I liked a lot of them. I've mentioned a couple times in passing Kylan Hill. I really, really like watching him. He's a really underrated prospect that not anyone really is talking about. Um, I really liked his tape for a lot of reasons. But if you're talking favorite, it's got to be Javante Williams for me. And that's why he's my number one running back. He is amazing to watch on tape. The ability that he has to do everything. And the main thing with him is I had this consistent uh, phenomenon where I'd be saying, whoa, what, whoa, whoa, why is he still going? What's going on here? How is he in the end zone? That's the kind of the kind of tape watching experience that I got with Javante Williams. He's just consistently impressing. Um, and th- when you end up as a number one running back on my prospect list, it probably means I liked watching you on tape. So I, he was my favorite. Yeah, I completely agree. He was the guy and, and I haven't maybe gone as deep as you have on some of these guys, but I he was the guy that I have enjoyed watching the most so far uh, without a doubt. Like I said, I I fell in love with Kareem Hunt immediately watching his tape. I've kind of done the same with Javante Williams. Um yeah, I'm, I'm going to see where I can maybe snag him in a few redraft leagues. I know the the, the asking price will be very tough in dynasty leagues, but we'll see uh, mm-hmm. if that's possible there as well. Um, all right, so that was it. Uh, now, next week, next week we really get into your wheelhouse here because I know Ooh. that you are a wide receiver guy. Uh, that's part of the reason we've broken this up into two shows because – um, as you mentioned, it's a deep class. It is also, like I said, I know that is your that is your stock in trade is uh, is talking about wide receivers. So uh, starting next week, uh, as the kids say, it gets real. Um, so <laughs> so looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun next week, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the guys at the top are going to be incredibly fun to talk about because of how elite they are. And the depth we'll get to on the second episode is just crazy that there's that many good receivers still there. So it's going to be a fun two weeks. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, if work is so terrific, how come they have to pay you to do it? Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. And we will see you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.